Well, I do want to turn our attention to, uh, to this passage here. Uh, were you surprised by Jesus, uh, his language, as you listen to it in dialogue like that? I think it's very easy to be surprised by Jesus' language uh, today. And what's at stake actually is fatherhood. And uh, so I thought uh, the best place for me to start today um, would be uh, with a picture of me and my dad. Uh, so that's nice. This is at my sister's wedding uh, exactly a year ago. So it was uh, her anniversary, I think, two days ago, I think. Um, so me and my dad. And uh, one of the sayings that they have uh, is uh, like father, like son. Now, I don't, know, I don't know if you can see any resemblance there. There may be. Um, he's my dad, so I can't see any resemblance at all. But, um, but I love him to bits. There's this, there's this turn of phrase, which I'm sure you've heard, like father, like son. There's, there's also like daughter, like mother, yes? The, the, the idea that you look like the one who brought you into the world. That, that kind of makes sense. Uh, and what we want to see today is that fathers and sons, this, lo- this likeness is actually at the heart of what Jesus is teaching today. The likeness of sons to fathers is what's at the heart of what, uh, of what Jesus is saying today. I want you to see in this passage that the two sections that we had read for us actually have two journeys. There are two journeys. In the first one, there's a journey from unbelief to belief. Uh, In verses 11 to 30, uh, we see people who start off doubtful, and at at verse 30, we see actually that they believe. Then in the second uh, section, I don't know if you noticed this, but it didn't go as well for Jesus, did it? So in the second section, it goes from people who believe him to, at the end, unbelief. And what I want to do is have a look at those sections separately and see what we can draw about fatherhood and about Jesus and his identity along the way. So let's start with that first journey. One of the things that that is an absolutely strong uh, image in the book of John is this concept of light, the concept of light. Jesus goes out of his way to present himself as someone who brings light And uh, we see this right the way from uh, John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we see that the light shines in the darkness, it says in chapter 1, verse 5, and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 9, we read, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And in 3.19, Jesus says this, "This this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So in that context, it's no great surprise to see in John 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. He's been the light from the beginning of creation. He's the light of revelation. He will reveal the hearts of people. The light from creation, the light of revelation. And right now, outside the temple, he says, I'm the light in this situation. Right now, here, I am the light of the world. The one that you can see in front of me, I'm bringing this light, this spiritual light, into your spiritual and moral darkness. Light is absolutely essential to who Jesus is. But uh, rather than everyone going, wow, Jesus, we're delighted that you're the light of the world. Delighted, that's probably a little punny there, isn't it? Uh, they're, they're, not, they're not 
really excited that Jesus is the light of the world. In fact, almost immediately they go on the defensive. And um, I, I want you to think with me why. Has anyone played Monopoly before? Relatively popular game? Yes, very good. Um, now, uh, does anyone pr- play Monopoly uh, with reference to these? Has anyone here can honestly say they've read the rules of Monopoly? I see that hand in there. Thank you, Annabelle. Well done. And you have as well. Good on your list. Excellent. Has anyone else? Okay, and you have George. Okay, all right. A few of us have. How many have played it without ever reading the rules? All right. Did you know that when you're going around, if you land on a property and you don't choose to buy it, that it has to be auctioned? Did you know that? I see some people saying yes, and I see some people going, I'm not really sure I knew that. So here's the thing, you have to bid on the property, okay? So it might go for $5, there's no minimum. So someone might say, well, if you're not going to buy it, I'll I'll offer $5. And someone might go, I'll offer 10. And they go, well, I'm out. And they go, well, okay, I'll have it for $10 then. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Speeds the game up too, I thought. Anyway, here's the point. We don't always always know the rules. Uh, The rules are often absent, and uh, maybe they'd cause less fights or... But then it's Monopoly. Maybe they wouldn't solve any fights at all. Uh, it's important, though, that you know the rules. And in this situation, we actually need to know the rules in order to understand what's happening. So have a look with me at uh, John 8 and verse 13. Uh, the Pharisees challenged him. The Pharisees are a group of teachers who are in the temple. They, they challenge him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. There's a rule, basically, which was in murder cases, you've got to actually have two witnesses. It can't be just someone said, I saw you do that, and then we'll execute you because you're the murderer. That won't work that way. So in the Jewish legal system, you had to have two witnesses. Now, what it appears the Jews have done is taken this idea of two witnesses and made it apply to everything, not just the capital case of murder. So here's Jesus, he's standing in the temple courts and he says, I'm the light of the world. And they go, oh, that's kind of interesting, Jesus. You've got you saying that. We actually need, the rules say, we need a second person in order to validate what you're saying. Jesus, if you don't have a second witness to the fact that you're the light of the world, guess what? We're not going to believe you. We're not going to believe you. And so if Jesus can't produce a second witness, what they're saying is he's able to be ignored. We don't need to listen to him. Light of the world, we don't care, Mr. One Witness. We don't care at all. Never mind that it might be a really great claim. If there's only you, doesn't, doesn't cut any mustard with us. Secondly, not only do we not listen to you, we'll actually treat you like an imposter. Because if your claim is this extraordinary claim, I mean, I don't know, say Daniel came up the front here, he's not going to do that, but say Daniel came up the front here and he said, everyone, I want you to know I'm the light of the world. We would look at him and go, that's very interesting, mate. Uh, Can we help you? Would you like to have a cup of tea? We can just have a quiet chat. It's an oddity, isn't it? At one level, it's so audacious that it needs to be dismissed as something of an imposter or a liar or someone who's not very well. Do you get that? We, we need to kind of put ourselves in the reality of what it felt like to be standing there next to a guy who was probably no, no taller than me, a human being saying, I'm the light of the world. 
it, it shouldn't surprise us that they say, actually, we'd like a little bit more verification on that if we could, please. It shouldn't be surprising, even though we know they're the baddies, right? We actually should go, that's, that's pretty unusual. There aren't too many people who make claims like that. So Jesus' response is interesting. And he's going to say something very powerful. I want you to look at this picture up here. Uh, how many people are in this, in this picture? Just call it out. One, nice. Let me just reveal it a little bit. How cool is that? Can you see there are two people there, not one? Did you think there was one? Absolutely. Isn't it incredible? There are actually two people there. Depends on whether you're seeing the whole picture. That's essentially the heart of what Jesus is about to say in response here. Have a look with me at verses 14 to 19. He says this, Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I'm going from and where I, where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with who? Can you see it there in the text? I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who has sent me. What's the natural question that follows after someone says that? Have a look at it in verse 19. They asked him, where's your father? Now, interestingly enough, we don't see Joseph at all in this gospel. So we assume Joseph has died by the time Jesus has a public ministry. So when Jesus says, I stand with my father, I imagine, remember how concrete this situation is. It's not a spiritual make-believe, right? Jesus is standing there. He says, I stand with my father. And they look at him and they go, where's your father? Can you see that? It makes sense to ask, well, where's your dad? You're standing with your father. We can't see him. There's only one of you. And so Jesus wants to respond. He says, no, 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 no. You're only seeing part of the picture. I am telling you, I am standing right now with my father. I am never alone. My father, your God, stands with me. I am never on my own. And, and then he says, you must know, I think as he says that, my father is, is always with me. He says, you must know I'm more than a carpenter. You must know that. And if my father is always standing with me, not that there's anything wrong with carpenters, Cam, just so we're clear, mate. Yeah, good, we like carpenters. Um, but he says, I actually have a valid witness. There are two of us appearing, my father and I. You can't see him, but he stands with me and he authorizes me. I'm not out of line, according to your court. Things, uh, things get a bit heated from there. I know you noticed this when it was being read because of the wonderful interplay between Kathy and Tom. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. Who's the he? Someone special. If you think I'm just an ordinary bloke, you're going to die in your sins. And then he, in case we missed it, he says, you will indeed die in your sins. And we're all like, where's Jesus meek and mild? Well, he's laying it out for them. He's saying there is no salvation with niceness. It's actually by believing in me that you will be saved. And I love what happens in verse 30, though. It's extraordinary. We kind of go, well, if you speak that strongly, everyone's going to just bail out, right? 
The, the crowd empties away because Jesus is speaking about sins. But the opposite happens. Here it says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. Isn't that extraordinary? They're going, I want that. If there is forgiveness of sins, which Jeff talked to us about before when we did our confession, if that's real, I want it. And so you've got a group of people right there who say, I believe in Jesus. Well, that's story number one. I don't think it was expected to go that way, was it? But there it was. It moved from unbelief to a whole group of people standing there believing. Let's look at part two, the second half. They don't, they don't stay on board for very long. I want to tell you a, a story uh, that comes from India to introduce our second half here. This is a story that I got from an organization called International Justice Mission. It's an organization we're going to increasingly partner with as a church. International Justice Mission works in countries around the world to bring justice to people who are in slavery, to reform justice systems and to put in place uh, a legal system that will do well and justly for the least. Amazing organization. I love them. This story came uh, from May last year. It's a brick kiln in India. And basically what happens is the person who runs the brick kiln invites families to come in and says that he'll pay them. When they come, he says, oh, now that you're here, you actually owe me for your bedding, you owe me for your accommodation, you owe me for your food, and I'm only going to pay you this much. And essentially what happens is they're in slavery. They have a debt they can never repay. They can't escape. And inevitably, there is remorseless beating and abuse. It's terrible. In this situation... Uh, this organization, International Justice Mission, found this group of people here. And this picture here is of the day that they got the police to go in and to set free over 300 men, women, and children. People who had been in slavery for years. It's incredible that it's happening today, isn't it? I think it, it just it, it amazes us that that is actually the case uh, still today. But here it is, these people being set free. And what, what I love is not only that this happened very recently, it's a, it's a recent story, but here's the picture of what freedom looks like. It's them holding their certificate saying, I am an authentic person. Here is my documentation that says I have the ability to own property, to not be under slavery and debt anymore. And so here they are standing up declaring their freedom. Isn't that brilliant? I, I just find that so inspiring. And so today we want to talk about freedom. We want to talk about freedom and we want to talk about slavery in the language that Jesus himself uses. I think it's surprising slavery. Have a look with me at verses uh, 31 to 32. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I think this is extraordinary. I would have thought that was great news, right? But amazingly, surprisingly, the Jews who are listening to him feel insulted by what Jesus has said. They go, how dare you say that to us? Have a listen. I mean, it's, it's really quite surprising. Have a look at, at verses 33 to 35. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? 
How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Extraordinary. Jesus says something very significant. He says, I've come to set you free. You'll you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And their answer is, hey, we're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves of anyone. I think it's the equivalent to, um, I I, I don't know. I don't don't know if this happens so much anymore, but but in some people you meet, they, they, they don't go to church, but they have a grandmother who is very faithful. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying here? So, so they go, oh, well, I, actually, my, my grandmother was a nun, right? Not my grandmother. I think she's a saint. She's beautiful, but she wasn't a nun on a bike. But, but I just picked this picture for the perfectness of it, right? My grandmother was a nun on a bike. Come on. I'm, I'm going to be okay. I, I don't need to be set free. I don't need to be forgiven. I've actually got a ticket lined up by virtue of my grandmother. Do you see this? That's essentially what the Jews are saying. Jesus, you don't need to set us free because our grandmother, no, no, our great, 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 great grandfather is who? Abraham. We want you to know we've got the religious thing taken care of. Our lineage goes back to Abraham. We're sorted. We don't need to be free because we're children of Abraham. My grandma has got it covered is essentially what they're saying. I want you to observe, first of all, that these guys have a serious case of historical amnesia. I don't know if you've had one of these before, but historical amnesia. What I mean by this is, what on earth is the story of Israel? Have you heard of a place called Egypt before? Hey, team. Um, Have you heard of a place called Egypt before? Okay, so here's the thing. What what was the experience of the people of, of Israel after Joseph's time? Call it out. They were slaves. How long were they slaves for in Egypt? 400 years is the answer. It's the greatest, most defining story of Israel that Moses led them out of slavery into the promised land. Yes? And and here they are. Jesus is saying, I can set you free. And they answer, we have never been slaves to everyone, to anyone. I'm just like, you're nuts. It's the defining story of your family history and you're denying it here just to make a point in an argument. I've called it historical amnesia. Either way, it's incredibly surprising that they say that. Thirdly, secondly, sorry, I want you to see, I think it's quite surprising. Jesus actually says that we don't just sin. It's not just a hobby, a dangerous hobby. It's not just a dangerous hobby. It's actually a slavery. It's a slavery. You might think I can indulge that sin or not indulge that sin. And what the Lord Jesus is saying here is, you cannot mess with sin. You are enslaved to it unless you are set free from it. You're enslaved to it unless you're set free from it. And so I think Jesus is making a point that will surprise us today. He's saying you are slaves And it's not just a group of people around the temple in Israel 2,000 years ago. You and I, not set free from Jesus, are as in bondage to sin as those brick workers were in the kiln. Unable to escape. 
Jesus says, sin is slavery. But he offers us this incredible thing, doesn't he say? He says, but if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There is actual freedom from sin. There is a fresh start, a new hope, a blank slate on offer from Jesus. Genuinely, we can be set free from sin. You will know the truth, Jesus says, and the truth will set you free. That has to be the best news in the world, doesn't it? You will never escape that brick kiln on your own. The brick kiln of sin, you are trapped forever. Except that someone will come from outside, set you free, and give you a new certificate of identity that says, freed man, freed woman. Praise God. (laughs) Yet, despite all that, they persist in claiming their father. They, They can't get away from it. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus says, then you would do what Abraham did. You remember, like father, like son? If you really are Abraham's children, I want to see the image of Abraham on you. What did Abraham do? As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You were doing the works of your own father. Can you see Jesus turning it on his head? See, if you, if you really want to claim Abraham as your father, act like Abraham. It says in Romans 4, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here's Jesus, and what are they doing? Disbelieving him and wanting to kill him. And you're Abraham's children? I don't think so. And they actually go on to insult Jesus' paternity here. Uh, Where is it? Um, They actually go after Jesus here. Have have a look at verse 41. (laughs) They go to Jesus and they say, We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Now, I just want you to get how nasty this is, right? You remember the Christmas story? There's an awkward pregnancy in there somewhere, isn't there? Remember Joseph and Mary? Joseph has in mind to quietly divorce his wife is what we're told. Why? Because she's preggers before they're married, right? And here they are, the Jews, in the cut and thrust of this argument. They go, hey, buddy, you want to talk about illegitimate children Who's your daddy? Nobody knows. Your mum was pregnant before your dad was married. That's pretty nasty, isn't it? And it gets more nasty from there. Have a look at this. I I went for this scene because we've got this courtroom kind of thing happening. If you don't know it, don't worry. But but, but here's here's essentially what happens. Here's here's what they go after, right? You're demon-possessed. This is Jesus, right? They're looking at the one who is proclaiming life, freedom, truth, hope, light, and they're saying, you're possessed by a demon. Let's acknowledge that's a little messed up, isn't it? You're possessed by a demon. Are you really greater than Abraham? Come on, put your, put your bona fides on the table. Are you greater than Abraham? Who's standing there? The Word, through whom and in whom All things came to be. The incarnate Son of God is standing there and they're casually asking him, hey, are you better than Abraham? What's the answer to that? Yes, quite a little bit bigger, actually. I'm his God in flesh in front of you. Are you greater than Abraham? And then because of the way Jesus answered, they really want to go after him. They say, you've seen Abraham, have you? Now, incidentally, 
it's just messed up because uh, it's actually not what Jesus says. Uh, have a look. Uh, da, 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 da. Have a look at um, verse 56. Your, your, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. What's he saying he saw? Well, Abraham saw Jesus' day. Not that Jesus saw Abraham anyway, be that as it may. It's just a mistake on their part, I think. Jesus' response is to just take it up. He turns it up to 11. Have a look at, uh, at verses 54. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And we think, yep, that's just a badly formed sentence. No. From Exodus chapter 3, when Moses says, what is your name, God? Who shall I say has sent me? God says to him in the burning bush, say, I am has sent you. Say, I am has sent you. And so here's Jesus standing in the temple court. He is the incarnate son of God. And he says, before Abraham was born, I am. And do you know what? There's no mistake in this claim. We can tell that they understood it, even if we scratch our heads and go, I'm not sure what's going on here. And the reason we can tell, have a look at verse 59. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. See, how do we know that they got it? They decided to stone him. They were going to stone him for blasphemy because he, a mere man, was claiming to be... God, they got it. It wasn't just a weird sentence to them. When Jesus said, I am, they figured out this guy is claiming to be God. We're going to get the stones right now. Don't worry about holding a court case. We're going to stone him to death right now. And what happened? Jesus hid himself and walked away. How do you do that in a crowd, incidentally? I reckon this is some supernatural thing that Jesus does. I don't think he has an invisibility cloak, but he just slips away. He just slips away. An angry mob want to stone him for blasphemy. And what happens? Jesus walks away. Why? Because his hour has not yet come. Keep reading John with me. We will see. We will see it happen. Hey, uh, they recognized it was blasphemy. So what can we learn about Jesus' relationship to his father? Well, we see through this, this passage here that he was sent by his father, that he speaks for his father, that he pleases his father, that he sees what his father shows him that he honours his father and that he will be glorified by his father. The intimacy of Jesus and his father is immense. Jesus says, if you know me, you will know my father as well. It is so beautiful. And so Jesus says, I'm not appearing on my own. I'm standing here with my father. Uh, I want to see, uh, what do the following have in common? Quick game, just to keep us all alert. Uh, who's that? Call it out. Come on, Michael Jackson, who's this? Nice. And this one? Okay, very good. What do they all have in common? Sorry, they're leaders. That's nice. They're all evil. Oh, dear me. I didn't say that. Okay, here's the thing. They all have paternity questions. Okay? Michael Jackson? 
Billie Jean, my lover, she's just a woman who says that I'm the one. There we go, there you go. Um, Tony Abbott had that interesting thing with his son who was the sound recorder who turned out not to be his sound recorder. Did you catch up with this story? Google it, it's awesome. Um, and you've heard of Star Wars? I am your father. There we go. Okay, very good. No, you're not my father. You can't be my father. Okay, good. Okay, paternity questions. Very good. We're on, we're on track. Um, how, do you, how do you work out? How do you work out if someone's your father? Take a DNA test, right? Paternity test will tell you if someone is your father. Here's what I want to tell you as we bring this in to apply it this, uh, this evening, uh, this morning, uh, sometime. Uh, Here's, here's what I want you to know. Pressure samples paternity. You need to take a little bit of blood to work out human paternity. I want to tell you under pressure, a little bit will squeeze out for us that will show what our spiritual paternity is. Under pressure, you and I will show who our true father is. We'll show who our true father is. And so here's a DNA test. Here's what I want you to know. If you lie and murder, if you trade in lies and untruth, if in your mind you plot hatred and revenge, that's a marker. If you dishonor Jesus, the son of the father, if you dishonor him, if you won't respect him, that's a marker. If you say, I'm going to be okay on the last day because my grandmother I can go on sinning because my grandmother, that's a marker. And when the paternity test comes back, Jesus doesn't spare the horses. Here's what he says. It will reveal that your father is the devil. There's a second set of markers. If you hold to the teaching of Jesus, hang on to it for dear life. If you're someone who obeys his word, doesn't, really, doesn't merely know it in their head, but works hard to put the rubber on the road to obey him in your everyday life, that's a marker. If you're someone, and I absolutely love this, who loves Jesus, that's a marker. And the paternity test will come back, and here's what it says. Your father is none other than the living God. None other than the living God. There's life in Jesus' name. And what's before us this morning is this. From verses 31 to 42, the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Change your identity. This morning you can be slaves. Known or unknown, you are slaves until you're sons, until you're set free. This morning, I want to implore you to be sons and daughters, to be set free, to be sons of your heavenly Father. I'm going to pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for those who are in secret slavery now. Father, who are trapped in sin, who have tried to change their lives, Father, who sought to change things but, but can't escape who are weighed down with guilt and the burden of unforgiveness. And Father, I thank you for the beauty of your son's words, that in him there is true freedom and forgiveness. Father, I want to pray for those of us here who are sons of the Father, men and women all, sons of the Father, 
Lord, would you help us to know the new identity card that you've given us? That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, that we might hold on to his teaching, obey his word, and love your son, Jesus. Refresh us in this, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.